Hello, you're listening to the On The Go with VAO News Podcast for the week ending June 12th, 2015. Hello, welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I am Bill's colleague, Dara Curran, and we appreciate you joining us for this weekly presentation, uh, during which we're going to be recapping some of the week's top headlines from our acquisition news and discussing some hot topics and intriguing trends in a fast and mobile listen-where-you-are format. All right, Bill, let's get started. What are we talking about this week? One of the big stories last week um, was not good news, unfortunately. Uh, the Office of Personnel Management announced that its systems had been breached uh, in April. The breach may have exposed the personally identifiable information of up to 4 million current and former federal employees. We're still hearing uh, tidbits sneaking out. There hasn't been a full announcement yet of uh, the, the entirety of the breach or who was affected. Um, OPM is notifying employees individually. Uh, but it may be up to 4 million employees. It might be more than that. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security is investigating the breach with OPM, and OPM has taken additional precautions, including restricting access to its systems, uh, reviewing its connections to the Internet, and deploying anti-malware software. Now, at the time of the breach, agency records were being protected by DHS's Einstein system, which monitors for attacks, but this malicious software uh, apparently was a new variety that didn't raise any alarms. Well, that's, yeah, that's pretty bad and certainly of concern to a lot of our listeners. So, you know, to take steps to protect yourself, OPM is offering free credit monitoring and credit report access to employees who may have been affected and also offered recommendations for all feds to uh, go ahead and monitor their financial accounts for suspicious activity, review the identity theft-related information that's provided by the Federal Trade Commission, Ask their credit bureaus to go ahead and set a credit line fraud alert. That'll prevent anybody from opening a new account uh, using your social security number without you uh, approving it first. And report any misuse of personal information that you find to the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Internet Crime Complaint Center. Yes, we certainly hope none of our listeners are affected by this breach, um, and we wish all federal employees well mm-hmm. in these uh, circumstances. So what else do we have? Well, uh, the administration has requested feedback and ideas to help develop the third Open Government National Action Plan, which will outline new and expanded open government initiatives for the next two years. The administration is interested in hearing about new ideas as well as ideas for expanding on any earlier efforts that are related to public participation, open data, records management, the Freedom of Information Act, and other areas that were encompassed by the plan. Any suggestions you may have, they could be submitted via email to opengov at ostp.gov, via Twitter, uh, at sign opengov, or to a publicly available hackpad. What do you got, Bill? Well, we had some comings and goings this week. Uh, U.S. Marshal Service Director Stacia Hilton plans to retire. Hilton has led the agency since January 2011, and there's no word yet on a possible replacement there. On Monday, DOD announced the appointment of Claire Grady as Director of Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy. Grady previously served as Deputy Assistant Commandant for Acquisition and Director of Acquisition Services and as Senior Procurement Executive and Head of Contracting Activity for the U.S. Coast Guard. Effective immediately, Grady succeeds Richard Ginman, who retired last year. 
So a proposed rule that was published on Wednesday this week would amend the federal acquisition regulation to implement changes related to small business subcontracting. The Small Business Administration already adopted these changes in their own regulations to implement requirements in the Small Business Jobs Act of 2010. This proposed rule would align the FAR with SBA's updated regulations. Now, there are a lot of changes in this rule, but let's just point out a few key requirements. A prime contractor will be required to notify the agency when it doesn't use a small business contractor that helped prepare a bid or proposal to accomplish work under the contract. The rule also clarifies that the funding agency, not the awarding agency, should receive credit for small business subcontracting on multi-agency, multiple award schedule, or indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts. Comments must be submitted by August 10th, 2015 to be considered in the formulation of a final rule. OFPP Administrator Ann Rung says she'll issue guidance this summer that will encourage agencies to set up their own buyers club, modeled after a program at the Department of Health and Human Services. Now, Rung didn't say the clubs would be mandatory, but it sounds like the administration will strongly encourage agencies to set up these offices. The guidance will set out some general principles and give agencies the flexibility to do what works for them. Now, HHS started setting up its buyers club last year as a way to explore new ways of buying IT, uh, try some new contracting approaches, and take some calculated risks. Uh, the club is developing playbooks and checklists so that contracting officers know what they can and can't do under the FAR. So this is kind of along the lines of the U.S. Digital Service? Well, it's a little bit like the Digital Service. And, of course, we all know the White House has directed agencies to stand up their own digital services teams as well by the end of this year, mm-hmm. the end of this fiscal year. Um, it's also a little bit like GSA's 18F team. Um, HHS is using the Buyers Club to centralize some IT expertise and provide advice to department offices. Uh, the club helps programs develop acquisitions, try new ideas. So it's not it's not just advice. It's also some hands-on help. But there's uh, there's no requirement for HHS offices to use the Buyers Club. I guess I'd, I would think of it something like a sandbox, right, where offices can experiment with new contracting approaches and innovative tech. For, for smaller scale projects, things like websites, um, something that isn't necessarily expensive or risky, but lends itself to an untraditional approach. Well, even if they're not required to use it, you know, based on what we've been seeing with these specialized digital teams, they have more demand than they can keep up with. So that should be yes. a pretty popular. Service. Probably so. Yes. And we're expecting to see guidance from OFPP on that this summer, right? That is correct. Okay. Well, that brings us neatly into the top story of this past week. OMB has released its finalized guidance for implementing the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act, or FATARA. This is a 31-page policy, uh, and it does cover a lot of ground. Obviously, we will not go into it all here. Uh, Things like reporting requirements, agency participation in tech stat and portfolio stat sessions. And it also builds on previous OMB guidance pertaining to establishing teams that have specialized IT acquisition expertise, like we were just talking about. So um, one major provision in FATARA and OMB's guidance is the stronger role that agency CIOs will have in managing IT investments from the budget and portfolio levels of uh, technology uh, through the acquisition process and also some workforce decisions that could be hiring component level CIOs and also establishing core competency baselines for their IT staff. Now, 
in most cases, this is not giving the CIO the final call on any decision. It does mean the CIO's office has to have a seat at the table, though, when those decisions are being made. The CIO is not only going to be bringing expertise to these processes, but giving an agency-wide view of how everything fits together. It's IT governance at a very high eagle-eye level. The guidance has a lengthy appendix. It shows not just where the CIO's role will intersect with other offices responsible for buying IT, but also how the CIO is going to intersect with the budget office, the program management offices, and procurement. Basically, it covers a lot of ground and uh, certainly makes for some interesting, at least skimming, if not detailed reading. Yes, yes. And it also, interestingly to me, includes projects that aren't classified as IT projects. Exactly, because tech touches everything these days, right? So all those little projects that don't directly involve IT, but have, you know, they have some IT as a component. And OMB refers to this as shadow or hidden IT. So let's talk about an example here. A grant program may spend some of its funds on IT equipment or systems to administer or deliver the grant. But traditionally, you're not going to call the grant program an IT investment. Under OMB's guidance, that portion of the grant project must be connected to the agency CIO. So they can kind of, you know, weigh in on what's going on with that. Now, of course... All these cooks in the kitchen, I can see some opportunities for, uh, you know, arguing, uh, whacking each other with wooden spoons, etc. <laughs> it, it's entirely possible. Actually, um, a few weeks ago, a, a federal CIO, Tony Scott, uh, suggested that very thing. Um, he said that he expects some resistance to certain areas of FATERA, especially those uh, CIO authorities. Because like you said, we're going to have the CIO's office approving investments, reviewing acquisition plans maybe pulling the plug on troubled projects. And Scott believes that could create friction at agencies um, between the headquarters CIO and component CIOs who may not be seeing eye to eye on their individual projects, a little bit of territorialism there. Um, and we also have members of Congress uh, suggesting that some agencies should be exempt from a FATARA already. It's not yeah. even implemented yet, and we're already uh, carving out some exceptions. Um, lawmakers in the House and Senate have introduced language that would exempt the Department of Energy and its laboratories, or both, from FATERA. Uh, now, pro proponents of that language say that agency CIOs won't have the expertise to properly oversee some of the complex systems used by DOE's labs to, to do things like modeling behavior of nuclear warheads or managing nuclear reactor cores, Understandably, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the administration, uh, unsurprisingly, does not like the idea and says that it would undermine efforts to reduce duplication and improve cybersecurity. Well, absolutely. I mean, this is a really slippery slope. Uh, once you start, you know, it's like you can't make exceptions. Everybody thinks they're special and needs to be accepted from this because, you know, every agency has a specialized mission. And, you know, I mean, that's certainly an extreme example, you know, nuclear you know, reactors and all that stuff. But, um you know, it's wh where are you going to draw the line at? And it does. I th I think that's really true. It, the point is, if you're talking about that eagle's eye view, you want them to have visibility over everything that's going on and uh, and to bring their perspective to that. So but, you know, OMB's guidance on implementing FATARA, one key of this is that agencies have flexibility to implement things in a way that fits with their culture, with their processes, you know, with the responsibilities of, of who has what where. Right. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. And, and I and I like you. I can see both sides of the issue, uh, but that flexibility opens the door, in my view, to a common sense solution that doesn't require legislation. Yes. Right. You know, I, I think DOE is capable of of making an exception to these types of projects or for these types of projects that would allow the CIO a seat at the table 
for the portfolio oversight, but maybe not for that hands-on day-to-day management or decision-making where you're talking about system functionality and how it works and is it on track. Um, you know, that way the CIO knows what's going on, where the funding is going, are, they, are, are two labs duplicating efforts, mm. right? You know, but with an understanding that there's going to be additional expertise needed to guide these projects that maybe the agency CIO doesn't have. Sure. And I mean, a high level official like this, we would hope that they're going to know when to recuse themselves from the, okay, right. your, your right. nuclear rocket science technology is beyond, <laughs> beyond my wheelhouse here. So yes. anyway, yes. all right. Well, that brings us to the public participation portion of our podcast. It's a lot of the P's P- there. P- uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are curious what you think. Do you anticipate friction and wooden spoon whacking between your component CIOs and the agency CIO or between the CIO and and your program or your acquisition shops, what do you think are the pain points going to be to implementing Fatara within your agency? And uh, conversely, we'd also like to know, are you excited about Fatara's potential? Uh, some agencies have already implemented Fatara-like processes, and they have said that they expect smooth sailing. Um, DHS was one of them. I believe EPA was another uh, that have uh, you know have already these governance processes um, in place. Maybe not as as solidly as Fatera requires, um, but they're certainly headed in the right direction. Uh, so we'd be interested in uh, you know hearing about agency experiences uh, with these kind of in process internally. Any best practices? We'd love to hear about that too. And you can comment on VAO on the same page where you downloaded our podcast. And you can also comment about the podcast itself. We would love to have your feedback on the format or the content that we're dealing with or anything else you would like to tell us. Also, on that same VAO page, you can find links to the headlines that we recapped in this week's podcast for further reading because we know you're going to just want to dive into those 31-page policy guidances that we were talking about. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Right away. That's very important. You probably will have to do that anyway, so there's a link on our page to that. We'll be back next week, June 19th, with our next next weekly news recap. Join us on Thursday, June 18, uh, for our next webinar. It's an introduction to cost analysis with our own Frank McNally, who will cover the basics of cost analysis, including when it should be conducted. Uh, He'll differentiate cost analysis from cost realism analysis and examine how cost and pricing data supports the acquisition professional's efforts. And again, that's Thursday, June 18th. Excellent. Well, that is it for us for this week. Thank you so much for joining us and tuning in.